my top piece of advice. When you first start the job, take the time to invest in people and build relationships. I think so quickly, you want to immediately start showing your impact. You want to immediately get those quick wins. The way to the quick wins is through relationships. Establishing that foundation of trust. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it. From the good stuff like hiring and growing a team. To the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the skim from a couch. So what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? Welcome to our Women's History Month series on Skimmed from the Couch, where we're telling you about the women who made history this past year. This week, our guest is Dara Traceder. She's the SVP, Head of Global Marketing and Communications for Peloton, the world's largest interactive fitness platform that's led the charge for at-home fitness during the pandemic. And Dara herself is one of the most esteemed marketing professionals in the country. Before arriving at Peloton last year, Dara was the CMO of Carbon, a 3D printing company, and before that was the CMO of GE Ventures. Dara, thank you for joining us. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to dig in. You have a great and lengthy resume, and so I am curious, of all the jobs that you've had or activities you've been a part of, which one stands out that means the most to you? Well, obviously, my Peloton experience. You know, it's interesting. You learn so much in your career, right? You, you grow so much. I remember sitting in the audience once and listening to Meg Whitman, and she talked about what it was like to be a veteran CEO. And I remember kind of being like, huh, that's an interesting, an interesting phrase. I just had never heard someone use that before. And because I've had the opportunity to be a CMO twice in my career before this role, I felt really prepared. You know, I kind of really understood what Peloton needed. And I feel really equipped to be able to bring that to my team and to really create the environment that allows the amazing humans I get to work with to thrive and succeed. Because you get better with time. It's almost like practice makes permanent. Practice makes perfect. Practice makes better. And I feel like I've had experience practicing. And, and so it feels really wonderful to be able to bring all the amazing things I learned at the amazing places I worked to Peloton at this moment in time. You were born and raised in Nigeria and went to school both in the UK and later in the US. I'm really curious about your background and having the exposure and perspective from multiple places, how that led you to marketing or inherently makes you a good marketer. You know, I think that it's really important to live in different places and get exposure to different cultures. Because it's very interesting how things change and how things can be very different as you move between different societies, different cultures, different nations. And I think that I am able to bring a certain richness and fullness to my marketing experience because I've had many experiences where I have been, you know, other and I have had to see how do people relate to me? How do people talk to me in a way that really resonates, that feels authentic, that draws me in. And so having that in my own personal life, I think creates a wonderful texture, right? Wonderful context 
but how I'm able to kind of step into the shoes of others, step into the shoes of other segments of our customers, step into the shoes of customers with behaviors that are different than mine, because I've, I've had the experience of having basically navigated different worlds in my own personal experience. So I think it's, I think it's a richness, and I think it definitely has prepared me, I think, to be a better marketer. After all of your schooling, you ended up at Goldman Sachs. And I was reading about an experience that you had in in preparation for talking to you, where a senior person at Goldman Sachs said to you, basically, like, listen, Dara, you're good at banking, but you're really good at marketing. (laughs) And I was really struck by that, because I think many of us can relate to an aspect of that, which is like, you're in a job, you're doing what you think you're supposed to be doing. And something's not either totally clicking or you get feedback that like, maybe you should think about something this way. And what's interesting to me is like, we on this show end up, you know, by virtue of talking to founders and CEOs and women who are in leadership positions like you, we tend to talk to really type A perfectionists. And people who don't necessarily love to have their plan changed on them. Put us in your headspace at that age, in that moment, when you hear from somebody more senior than you at the company you worked really hard to get to say, you're good at this job, but maybe there's an even better career path for you. What was that like to hear that? You know, I'm not going to lie. It was tough. It was tough to hear that. I remember when I first heard that, I was actually a little bit upset because I was like, nobody comes to an investment bank saying, I'm going to be a great marketer. You know, you come to an investment bank saying, I'm going to be a great investment banker and get paid. I knew that the marketer is never going to be the CEO of Goldman Sachs. I knew it was immediately putting me in a different arena. But one of the things that I, I love about that experience, it taught me something. It taught me that feedback is a gift right? And a gift can come to you wrapped in different ways. It could come beautifully wrapped with, you know, in a beautiful box with a wonderful ribbon, but it could also come, you know, in kind of wrapping that you're like, is this gift or is this trash? What is this? Right. And, and I think that we need to always remember that regardless of the wrapping, feedback is a gift. And so just open it, you know, put the wrapping aside and get at the gift. And for me, that was what I was able to do with that experience because when I actually reflected on what he was saying, I got it. He was saying to me, hey, you are so creative and such a storyteller. Yes, you're analytical. Yes, you're quantitative. Yes, you're data-driven. But you need to be in a job that enables you to bring these two things together. And you're going to be just a rock star when you're right at that intersection of your skills and your passion. And that's something that I took with me and I switched into marketing and I've been in marketing ever since. But I always say this, I'm a businesswoman, a business leader whose expertise is in marketing and communications. I consider myself, you know, an equal business leader to any business leader at the table. I can hold my own and have conversations about anything, whether it's operations or supply chain or marketing campaigns, right? But my my area of expertise, my discipline is marketing and communication. And one of the things I need, I think we need more in the world is being able to respect leaders as business leaders with their functional expertise. I think that we need to move away from this you know, idea that only the CFO can be the CEO. Because to be honest, I think part of that is a little bit of some of the systemic 
issues that have held women down and prevented women from being in the top job, right, is, is putting limitations on people and saying, oh, because you are in marketing or because you are in operations or because you're in this, you're not a perfect candidate for this role. And we need to start taking away limitations for people, embracing the power that comes from people being in exactly the discipline that allows them to thrive, but recognizing that they're a holistic business leader. It's easy to say feedback is a gift when you're not the one receiving the feedback in the moment. And I'm really curious, you know, it's something I've personally struggled with, especially in my role. Like I give feedback a lot. It's not always fun to get the feedback and taking the long view. Yes, it is a gift. I completely agree with you. But in that moment, you were actually getting paid a compliment, but you only heard, it sounds like you only heard the negative in the, in the immediate moment. What is the trick for you now? Like how to get critical feedback? How do you receive it in a productive way now? Earlier in my career, I got another piece of feedback from this woman. And she said, you know what, Dara, whenever people give you critical feedback, you are immediate. And I have a very expressive face. Okay. So if I'm thinking something, you're seeing it and you're feeling it. <laughs> I've been told I do as well. No filter. I'm a bad liar. Like my mama used to tell me when I was a kid, it's like, who took the cookies? Uh, uh, uh. It's like, okay, we all know who took the cookies. Dara took the cookies. And so with my face is very expressive. So what she said to me is as soon as someone's giving me, you know, critical feedback, you can tell on my face exactly how I'm feeling about what you're putting down. And she said, what's interesting about you, Dara, is even though in the moment you, you come across as defensive, you reflect on it and you actually act on it. So why don't you, instead of being defensive in that moment, be receptive? And that was something that just that shift, that mindset shift mm -hmm. has been applied with me my whole career. So I welcome critical feedback now. I ask for it from everybody, whether it's my direct reports, people I work with, partners. And I ask for it because in my mind, asking is the invitation. It's almost like I'm asking them to do this. So I'm, it's my way of conditioning myself to be receptive. You know, it's my way of conditioning myself to, to walk in with an open heart, to not just listen and, and feel upset about what I don't like that I'm hearing, but really allow it to sit. Because I know that when I go back and reflect and marinate on it, there's going to be something in there. Might not even be all of it, you know, because sometimes people give you feedback and it's not always 100% accurate, right? Because it's their perception of a situation. But when I reflect on it, I always find no matter how awful the feedback might be, there is a nugget, a gold nugget in there that is I can kind of pick and take along with me that's going to continue helping me in my walk and my journey. I was reading that you said some of the best advice you got was to always make sure you're working for the right person. And I really like tried to digest that. And I'm like, that is some really, really good advice, but it's also easier said than done because you don't often get to choose who you work for. What does that mean when you say work for the right person? So I think that it is important to prioritize who you work for even over, you know, what brand you're working for or the title of the role. And the reason I say that is because, and this is especially true when you're earlier in your career, right? When you're kind of later in your career, it's sort of, you know, I could work for you, you could work for me, right? It, it's a little bit different when you get to that very senior level. But early in your career, your manager has an outsized role on, on your path and your trajectory. 
If you have a manager who does not empower you, does not give you the space to fail and learn, does not set you up for success, it can be very damaging to not only your self-esteem and your confidence, but it can also be very damaging to how you see yourself, which I think is the most problematic thing of them all. And I think I say this especially as a Black woman, right, where you have all the skills and all the talents and everything to offer in the world, and you work for somebody who might have some very problematic views about what a Black woman is or what a Black woman should be, and they start to tell you things about yourself and you start to believe them things that are wrong, things that you should never believe, things that are just absolute falsehoods that are, you know, basically, you know, what's underpinning them is systemic racism. And so that is what I mean by you have to be picky about who you work for. And, and it is easier said than done. And it's not saying, you know, always work for the, the, the perfect boss, right? That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying don't work for people that tear you down. Don't work for people that put you down. Don't work for people that, that instead of building you up, they're destroying you. That is toxic. It is not going to help you in your journey. And I think that I have been very, you know, selective about who I work for. And I've been fortunate in that I've worked for some really amazing people. It's not saying they're perfect. I'm not perfect myself, right? But it's saying I'm working for people who see my value, who I can truly assume noble intent. Right? I can look at them and I know that not everything they say is going to work. We're going to have our moments. Sometimes we're going to get into it. But, but I know that at the end of the day, they're good people. They value me. They value my contributions. And I will be given the space and the ability to not only do my job, but also grow and learn, which is so important to me. And so I just think it needs to be an important part of your consideration set. Like if you get vibes of this person I'm going to be working for, you know, is, is a misogynist or is, is racist or is, is just someone whose ethics I, you know, I, I, I think are going to be prob- absolutely problematic. I think that you need to ask yourself if that's someone you want to work for, right? Are you going to be comfortable with the orders they're going to ask you to do? Are you com- going to be comfortable with how you get treated? It is a privilege to manage people. It is an honor and a privilege. And I think if you're with someone who doesn't get that, you need to find someone else who does because there are many people out there. It might take a while to find it. I'm not saying it's easy, but you will find someone who values you and who treats you with the respect that you deserve. You know, what you just spoke about, like I completely agree with you. It is a privilege to manage somebody. And as Danielle and I have both, you know, we were first time managers when we really started the skim. It's hard to learn how to do it right. We are very much works in progress. How have you learned how to be a good manager yourself? What has been easy for you in that respect? And what are you still working on? So I invest a lot of time in trying to be a good manager. I read books, I listen to podcasts, and and most important of all, I spend time understanding what matters most to the people I have the honor and privilege of managing and why it matters to them. And and to me, uncovering that allows me to see things from their perspective, right? And so that I can do the work of making sure that I'm constantly not just seeing things from my own vantage point, right? But I'm understanding how that the impact that what I'm doing will have on them 
And it helps me make sure that the impact is positive. Now, I'm not perfect. I'm also a work in progress, right? I make mistakes, but I'm intentional because I remember, you know, having been in situations where I have been with phenomenal leaders, leaders who have absolutely changed my life. Like I got to work for Sue Siegel at GE. What a CEO. She is one of the best leaders I ever had the opportunity to work for. And and, uh, there are other leaders that I've worked for, too, who have just been absolutely phenomenal. And there have also been people I've worked for who, you know, I've learned about what not to do. So I think what I've also tried to do is think about what are the things that are positive and great? And how do I you know, own them and make them my own and build on them? And what are the things that are just not positive? Right? And make sure that I don't repeat it. I actually think sometimes we learn more from leaders who make mistakes, right? Because we learn not to repeat those mistakes, not to perpetuate those vicious cycles. What's the worst mistake that you saw a manager that you've worked with do with the best of intentions, but wasn't the right impact? I had this manager once. She knew I was ready. I was doing the work to be at a certain level, but she was so threatened about what it meant if I, if I was accelerating. She was so threatened about what it meant for her that she stifled me. And not only did she stifle me, I will never forget at the time, there were three of us that had just been hired on the team that were considered like rock stars, right? We were big gets for her. We were adding a lot of value. And all three of us left within this space because she was a a leader that kind of stifled you, didn't really give you space to grow, didn't really give you space to shine. And that was where I realized, actually, the best leaders allow those working for them to really shine because their shine is your shine. It's our shine, right? So you shining and you crushing it and you being recognized and you being compensated and you being promoted, that looks good for me. That looks good for you and it looks good for me. It's a win-win situation. I think hey, my, my strategy is I want the best people working for me. I want everybody on my team to be better than I am. And they all are, you know? And whereas I think just that falsehood of like, there needs to be a gap between me and the people working for me. That I think is one of the most detrimental things, especially as you rise and get more senior. Right. As, as you rise and get more senior, I think it's so important that you bring in the best people, that you're not threatened by your people, that you give everybody the space to grow and that you don't there doesn't need to be a gap. You're going to get have people who have more expertise in certain areas that you do. And that is amazing. That's great. That's how you continue to grow and expand as a leader. So I think that just making sure that you create a space where the people on your team can shine not being threatened to hire big, right? Not being threatened to hire people that might, you know, it's like, hey, maybe they could take your job. Well, that maybe that's the person you should hire. We know that you are, you know, based off of where you've worked and the jobs you've gotten, you're really great at marketing for brands. But I want to talk about how you market yourself. In the past, you've said women should treat their careers like a startup. What does that mean? So I think you need to invest in yourself, right? If you can't bet on yourself, who's going to bet on you? Even where I am today, for me, it feels like a miracle. Because growing up, I never imagined in Nigeria, I never imagined that I would be in this in the spaces that I'm in, doing the things that I... So I feel so grateful to be where I am today. And it's so important to me that I make sure and help other people, especially people who feel other, LGBTQ+, women, people of color, women of color. It's so important to me that people who feel other, who maybe haven't seen themselves in these spaces... It's so important to me to share what I've learned from my journey to help, 
right? Make that path a little bit easier for them. And that's why I talk about, you know, thinking about yourself like a startup. When you're a startup, right, you have to, first of all, you create your value proposition, right? You have, here's who we are, here's what we're going to do in the world, here's the big problem and the opportunity. And then you get investors, right? People who first, maybe a seed investors who take a bet on you, take a chance on you and are willing to say, okay, I'm going to come into this organization or this company. I'm going to put this money in because I believe that this company will make it. So I think that's exactly how we need to think about ourselves. We need to think about ourselves and say, what is my personal value proposition? You know, so I asked myself that. Hey, Dara Tresider, what is your value? At the time, I think I might have been Dara Johnson. What is your value proposition? What is the unique thing that you think you can bring to the world? And what is the impact that you're trying to have? And then once I codified what that is, and that has evolved over time, I was my first seed investor in myself. You know, I remember at the time I sat down and I said, okay, I really feel like I need to invest in, you know, I feel like I'm a great marketer, but I don't feel like I, I want to be this business leader. I want to be a marketer who can be a CEO. I want to be a marketer who can sit on boards. Like I, these are things that are important to me. So how do I get that? I felt that for me, and I'm a structured thinker, not everybody needs to go and get an MBA. But for me, where I was, an MBA made sense for me. Like it made sense in terms of how I learn and, and, and what I wanted to do with my life. And so that actually was what led me to go get an MBA. I felt that there were certain elements of my knowledge around operations, around you know finance, things that I felt I needed to hone in a little bit more to be more versed in how I could interact and, and engage at the highest levels of an organization. And going to business school was very helpful for me. Again, this isn't a go to business school. You know, everyone, my husband was the first person to tell you he didn't go have an MBA and he, he's doing just fine. So not everybody needs that. But I think the point I'm trying to make, this is just illustrative of what is that investment? Where is that gap in your skill set? Ask yourself. I don't know what it is. Where is that gap in your skill set? And then what is the step that you need to take to fill that gap? For me, at the time, I was willing to kind of, and, and that's just an example. There have been many times over the course of my career where I have made a bet and invested in myself, and it's always paid off. So I love a good metaphor. So I'm going to take your startup metaphor. So every startup is resource constrained, and it's you got to be scrappy to get stuff done. And you have to prioritize as a startup of, of one. How do you uh, prioritize yourself? Where are your inner resources spread thin? And, and how do you have to stack rank it? Yeah, so my mother told me something. She used to tell me all the time when I was growing up. I credit her with so much of who I am. She would say, ambition with contentment. Because even, even as a, a little girl growing up in Nigeria, I always had big, big goals, big dreams, even for my, my, my world then. And... This idea of ambition with contentment is my North Star. It is so important to me. It is what shapes my life. We all are resource constrained in some way, and especially when it comes to time. And looking at that North Star of ambition with contentment is how I think about that. So, you know, I'm a mother of two young children. I'm a wife and I'm a business leader and I'm a friend, and right, I'm, I'm a sister, I'm a daughter, I'm all of these different aspects of myself. So how am I going to allocate my time in order to be a full individual, a whole individual that's really adding value to the people in my life and the communities that I'm a part of? And so I always decide every year, my husband and I, we kind of, we are always very thoughtful as we go into the new year and we say, what are our priorities for the year? 
And we actually think about what are the priorities for our family. We start there. And then we map what those are. And then based on the what, what our family vision and our family goals are, then we talk about what our personal priorities are, right? How are we as the, you know, the co-leaders of this family? Co-CEOs, yeah. Exactly, the co-CEOs. How do we get there? And we actually have OKRs. What, like, do you literally write down OKRs? Yes, and, and my husband and I, every year we do a marriage retreat I love this. Oh my gosh. So we're a little bit, I know it's a little bit too much for some people. Oh my gosh. I love this. Wait. So like, what is an example of like an OKR for a family? So an example that I have is there's an objective for me, which is maximizing the amount of quality time that I spend with my children. And there's a special key result around there, which is I have my days of the week. My days of the week are Mondays and Wednesdays when I'm in charge of like taking care of my kids. I'm the the lead parent in the afternoon into the evenings on those days, bath time, food, hanging out, all the things. And, you know, for me, it's it's hitting those key results of like there's a there is a total number of Mondays and Wednesdays in a calendar year, right? And we have set a goal for how many of those Dara cannot move. Literally, all I'm thinking about is I'm like, how do you run my life? Like, I would like to, I need a private session with you. (laughs) This is amazing. (laughs) We know what the key results are. It's a smart goal. It's specific. It's measurable. It's actionable. We can say, did did you or did you not? So I have that, those key results. So guess what? Sometimes I get invited to little girls Zoom night, wine night, and it looks really fun. And I have to turn that down because I had a board compensation meeting, you know, uh, on another night and I need to hit my OKRs for the week in order to make sure that I hit my target for the year and crush my objectives because I'm in the business of crushing those objectives. So I think about that and I think about that too also with my work, right? Obviously I have clear OKRs that I I have with my my boss, like here are the things that I'm going to accomplish for our department and, and I work towards them with the partnership and support of my rock star teammates. So it's that level of focus. I bring that. Now, not everybody's like me. Everyone take from this what matters to you. And everyone needs to approach life in a way that makes sense for them. I'm a kind of structured person. I'm a goal-oriented person. When I set a goal, I want to crush it. Whereas if I don't have a goal, I'm not as focused and I might let things slip. So you outwardly come off as very confident. Like if I was going to invest in a startup, I'm like, I'm going to invest in this startup. But everyone has the things they're not confident in. And every startup, to use your metaphor, like has their growing pains. Professionally speaking, what are yours? That's a really good question. So I would say that I'm not as, it's funny because I come across as confident and I am confident about certain things. This has been an area of work. And I think it's something that I will continue to work on for my entire career I'm not as comfortable really pushing and advocating for myself. I, I, I can advise people to do it. I can cheer them on to do it. But when it comes to me actually doing it for myself, I, I don't think in my entire career, like I went to my boss and asked for a raise or something like that. Really? Okay. I feel... And it's sort of, it's a weird thing too, because, you know, it's that ambition with contentment. It's like, it's such a positive thing. And and it's such a, it's such a good North star from my life. And it's about finding that balance. Right. And so for me, I never want to come across as someone who's too pushy. 
And it's because also as a black woman, right, you have, there's this trope and this stereotype of like the angry, aggressive black woman. And I, because earlier on in my career, I kind of got some feedback about that, about myself. I've become so paranoid. You got feedback about what? That, you know, I was, I came across a little too strong. I was too passionate. And so I think the words were actually, the words were significantly less charitable. So actually, before you continue, I do want to interrupt you here, because I think now that you were more seasoned in your career, how do you digest feedback like that? At the time, like I said, I, I still believe this, even about this feedback, that this was feedback wrapped in some really smelly, horrible paper. In fact, some, some papers of systemic racism, too. There was a little kernel of truth in there. And what was that little, there was so much of it that I had to toss away and so much baggage I'm still even working to process through today. But there was a kernel of truth. And the kernel of truth was you need to think about your audience and tailor your message to your audience, just like you do as a marketer, right? It's not so much what you say, it's how what you say is received, right? You think about the language, you think about tone, you think about media, you think about context. You need to... I need to. I needed to think about that too because I had a lot of great ideas and a lot of great thoughts, but maybe I wasn't always as intentional about how I was communicating them. And so, yes, there was a part of that that was just like not good feedback, that was horrible, that was kind of I think, like I said, rooted in yeah. negative perceptions about what it means to be a black woman. Even in there was a kernel of truth. So I threw away this all the smelly wrappy paper, all the things that you know, we're not great. And I held on to the truth. And I think the truth has served me well. Again, comes back to why I said who you work for is so important. And I think it's so important as managers that we take our job so seriously. Because imagine if that person had just put a little bit of time and be like, there is a Black woman. There is this trope in society. Yeah. How might I want to deliver this feedback to her? Let me talk to her more about, let's like, that I can be a partner to her working on her communication style. That would have been much more effective than coming to me and just saying, you know what, you're very aggressive. You know, because what that did was that made me say, never be aggressive, never be aggressive. So even in moments when maybe it does make sense to lean in a little bit, maybe I should advocate for myself a little bit. I I get a little scared. And so that's something that is a con- constant journey. Before we move into our lightning round, I want to talk very briefly about you started your new job in a pandemic remotely. What is your advice for people starting job remotely? Like how do you onboard remotely? What has made it work for you? My top piece of advice, when you first start the job, take the time to invest in people and build relationships. I think so quickly, you want to immediately start showing your impact. You want to immediately get those quick wins. The way to the quick wins is through relationships. So the most important thing is taking that time to really get to know the people that you're going to be working with. Establishing that foundation of trust, I think for me, has made all the difference. I have some phenomenal teammates at Peloton. I mean, this is literally like the best place to work. And for me, spending the time getting to know them and getting to understand, hey, what are the gaps? Where are the things that they, they think I should be leaning into? What are the, the most you know urgent items on, on the agenda? Because obviously I came in, here's my 100-day plan, here are the things I'm going to do. But there's so much I don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And getting interacting with people and the relationships, relationships I've built have been so instrumental and so helpful. And I think that building those relationships really sets you up for success. 
And so that's what I would say if you're joining remotely, because it's harder to, you know, there's no conversations by the water cooler. There are no happy hours that you can kind of go and be a part of. So I just think it takes additional time and investment, but it is absolutely worth it. All right, we're going to move into our lightning round. What has replaced your morning commute? Meditation and prayer. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Absolutely morning person. I start my video calls at 5.30 a.m. So I'm 5.30 on the West Coast and it's 8.30 on the East Coast. So I start at 5.30 on the West Coast so I can have 8.30 a.m. meetings with my colleagues. Treadmill or bike? Both. (laughs) Well, if if you're going on an island, you can only take one. Tread. Favorite Peloton instructor? I love all of them equally. They're all amazing. What's your greatest advice? Diet Coke. (laughs) All right. Well, Dara, thank you so much. Pleasure to meet you. Congratulations on everything. And thank you for some really good advice today. Thank you so much. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra. 